invite you to turn in your uh, Bibles once again to Romans chapter 1, and we'll be looking and reading verses 8 through 15. Romans uh, chapter 1, verses 8 to 15. Hear the word of our great and glorious triune God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, speaking through the Apostle Paul to the church at Rome and to us. First, I thank my God through Jesus Christ for all of you, because your faith is proclaimed in all the world. For God is my witness, whom I serve with my spirit in the gospel of his Son, that without ceasing I mention you always in my prayers, asking that somehow by God's will I may now at last succeed in coming to you. For I long to see you, that I may impart to you some spiritual gift to strengthen you. That is, that we may be mutually encouraged by each other's faith, both yours and mine. I do not want you to be unaware, brothers, that I have often intended to come to you, but thus far have been prevented, in order that I may reap uh, some harvest among you as well as among the rest of the Gentiles. I am under obligation both to Greeks and to barbarians, both to the wise and the foolish. So I am eager to preach the gospel to you also who are in Rome. May the Lord add his blessing to the hearing and understanding of his word this morning. Let us pray. Dear Heavenly Father, we thank you for the scriptures that you have given to us, that we have read from this morning. We pray that your Holy Spirit, who inspired the Apostle Paul to write these words to the church at Rome so many years ago, we pray that that same Holy Spirit, your Holy Spirit, would enable us to understand rightly this word, which finds its center and its focus in your Son, our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. We pray all these things in Jesus' name and for his sake. Amen. Beloved, I'm tempted to begin the message this morning by emulating the great John Calvin. When he returned to the pulpit at St. Peter's Temple in Geneva after a three-year exile in Strasbourg, he began, after a three-year uh, exile, this way. As I was saying the last time we were together, and he did that. He expected the people to remember where they had been and what book of the Bible what chapter and which verses and where he had left off. And he picked up right where he had left off and continued on. Well, we're doing something like that. The last time I was here was not three years ago, but it was five or six weeks ago when we uh, began to look at Paul's letter to the church at Rome. And you may remember uh, that we uh, looked uh, and we were reminded that the letter of Paul to the Romans is about the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ, and that that is the point, that the point is the Lord Jesus Christ. And so we want to continue uh, this morning 
with the following verses up to verse 15. And I want us to note that uh, Paul tells the Romans that he is eager to be with them, even though he had no involvement in the planting of their church. Paul understood that his apostolic ministry involved both a pastoral heart with its concern for people and um, the message of the cross of Christ. In other words, there was both a pastoral concern, but there was also a message that Paul was called and commissioned to proclaim. And by the way, that's really the same calling of every pastor is both to have a pastoral heart with concern for people and a concern for the message that has been put in our hands to convey. That's Paul's concern. And so I want us to look at these verses, verses 8 through 15, under the following headings. I am eager to see you. I am eager to encourage you. And then finally, I am eager to preach the gospel to you. So I'm eager to see you, and we're looking at verses 8 through 11a under the first point, and then I am eager to encourage you, where we're looking at verses 11b through 13, and then I am eager to preach the gospel to you, verses 14 and 15. So Paul opens the body of his letter, and now we are beginning what commentators refer to as the body of the letter. The verse 7 verses are the introduction. And now we get into the meat of his correspondence with a church that he has never, as a church, has never met. Paul opens the body of this letter by telling the saints in Rome that he is thankful for them uh, and uh, and for the report of their faith that is circulated amongst the Christians Far and wide, apparently, the church at Rome had a reputation. It had a reputation for relying upon the grace of Christ, had a reputation for being faithful. In fact, um, it may have erred on the side of uh, veering toward uh, Jewish legalism. There's some question about that. But uh, so this is, Paul is writing to the saints to, to tell them about the ministry that he has had for the last 20 plus years and to tell them how thankful he is for them and for what he has heard about them. What we want to note at this point is that like his Lord Jesus Christ, Paul cared for the saints who were united to Christ wherever they were, and had compassion on the lost. That is, the Apostle Paul cares for both the saints and sinners. That is, he's concerned with those who have already come to faith in the Lord Jesus Christ and are thereby united to him by the strongest bond that is possible in this life, And he is concerned with those who have not heard the gospel. He has compassion on the lost. Or perhaps they've heard it, but have not yet responded. 
The saints in Rome, you see, had heard the gospel and responded with belief in the Lord Jesus Christ. They knew what the Christian faith was all about. Now, despite what we've been told uh, in some circles, uh, the truth is that the church in Rome is not planted by Paul or Peter. It was a church that had come into existence apart from, as far as we can tell, any apostolic foundation. Probably what happened is that uh, there were pilgrims in Jerusalem on the day of Pentecost who heard Peter preach. You may remember that in Acts chapter 2. And that they came to faith in Christ, they believed on Christ, and then returned to Rome with their newfound faith and began to share it and it spread. Most likely, although we, this side of the new heavens and the new earth, we will never know for sure. But think about the man who is writing this letter, beloved. The man who is writing this letter had experienced a miraculous turnaround. Paul, who had persecuted the church and hated uh, the, the gospel, hated the Lord Jesus prior to his encounter with the risen Lord on the road to Damascus, is the same man who will eventually pen 1 Corinthians 13, which we know as the love chapter. He shows concern for those under his apostolic care, but he also shows concern for the Romans. He's thrilled by the reputation that the church has, that their faithfulness has been reported in all the world to all those of the Christian faith. So you see, uh, the, the church in Rome and the Apostle Paul himself were unlikely Christians, we might say. We would not probably have guessed that these people who made up the church in Rome, and we most assuredly would not have guessed that the Apostle Paul would have come to faith and would be commissioned by our Lord to be the apostle to the Gentiles. Where might God have unlikely saints awaiting the hearing of the gospel today? Now, yes, there's a difference. Paul is is, is a part of the unfolding drama of redemption. He's an apostle. He holds a unique office. But the Church in Rome, those saints there are like us, and the Apostle Paul is like us as well in many ways. So where would unlikely saints arise from? Paul was not only concerned for the saints at Rome, he was not only concerned for them, he prayed for them. Notice what he says. He mentioned them in his prayers. We are called to pray for one another, of course, as brothers and sisters in Christ. We are called to do that. Do you do that? Do you mention each other in prayer? Do you lift each other up in prayer? Do you pray for your brothers and sisters around the world? Some you know and many you don't. Do we do that? Paul knows that his concern for the saints at Rome 
that his concern for them involves him carrying them to the throne of grace in prayer. That he cannot be concerned and not pray for these brothers and sisters in the Lord Jesus Christ. Even though Paul didn't plant the church at Rome, and we know that Paul says under normal circumstances he does not want to build on another man's foundation. That is, he does not want to interfere uh, with the work that has been planted by another apostle. And yet he is concerned about the welfare of the saints in Rome. The truth is, while he did not plant the church in Rome, when you, by the time you get to chapter 16 of the letter, you, the book, you, you realize that there are a few of the saints that he actually does know and has met. Uh, we often think of, of, of uh, people coming and going and living in one place and then moving to another, that that's kind of a, a modern thing. But in the ancient Roman world, that happens as well. And and Paul uh, got to meet people in his missionary journeys who eventually settled in Rome. Some, in fact, had been citizens or had lived in Rome, but had been kicked out. Uh, Priscilla and Aquila uh, had lived in Rome and probably had been uh, sent away uh, when Claudius uh, pronounced an edict that all Jewish people had to leave the city of Rome. So that, uh, in God's providence, was the occasion for Paul's meeting them. And in time, that, that banishment of the, of the Jews from Rome uh, was lifted, presumably upon the death of the Roman Emperor Claudius. And so Priscilla and Aquila find their way back to Rome, as we'll see at the end of the letter. Paul's continual prayer for Rome is a source of strength for both he, or him, and them. You understand that, that Paul's engagement in prayer, manifesting his concern for them, manifesting his pastoral heart for them, manifesting the fact that he's an under-shepherd, this concern, this taking to them in prayer as a source of strength for him as the one who prays for the saints in Rome and it is a source of strength for them, for the saints in Rome because they have the Apostle Paul praying for them. Now remember that Paul is an apostle. That's a special or extraordinary office in the early church, one that doesn't continue past the initial foundational uh, era of the church. Uh, and so this is something quite special that the saints at Rome are prayed for by the Apostle Paul. And yet, uh, and yet at the same time, he is a, a normal human being. He's not Jesus Christ, therefore he's not sinless. But he is united to Christ and therefore... When James says the effectual fervent prayer of a righteous man, righteous man is effective, this applies to Paul and to his prayer for the saints in Rome. 
Specifically, Paul prays that he would be able to get to Rome to be with them, to see them, to interact with them, to minister to them, and to be ministered to by them. That's Paul's prayer. He says a few times in the letter, sprinkled here and there, especially at the beginning and at the end. He wants to see them. He wants to minister to them. He wants to be built up by his fellowship with them. Now, as the Lord would have it, Paul does get to Rome later on, but by an altogether different route than the one that he envisions in this letter. He intends to get to Rome at the time he's writing this letter by his own exertion. That is, he's going to walk, he's going to ride, he's going to be on a boat. That is what he would no doubt intend to do. But as we know from the book of Acts, the Apostle Paul gets to Rome as a prisoner of Caesar. He had appealed to Caesar, which was his right, as a Roman citizen. And the book of Acts, of course, closes with Paul's imprisonment, a house imprisonment. That meant that he had Roman guards chained to him in a private dwelling. Paul not only was thankful for the saints at Rome and prayed for them, he also wanted to be with them, as we've already said. We find that there is great strength to be gathered when we meet with our brothers and sisters in Christ. I pray that that's true for us here this morning, that we find great strength in our gathering because we're not just, we're not just a group of individuals who happen to be in the same space. We are the saints of the living God. And what happens here doesn't happen anywhere else, even when we have personal devotions and when we have family worship, which are all necessary things. But when we gather together in the Lord's presence, there is great strength to be gained. We really do need each other. Do you share Paul's desire to be in the company of the people of God? Is that your overwhelming desire? If you find yourself not wanting to come to church on Sunday, then you must search your heart and ask why that is the case. And that brings us to our second point where Paul is eager to encourage the saints. Paul also recognized that his care, concern, compassion for, and longing to be with the saints at Rome had to be fleshed out. It had to be more than words. Now, it shouldn't be less than words, but it certainly had to be more than words. Paul's words of encouragement were important, but did need to be translated into tangible action, actions that could be seen, that people could, could see 
that he was doing, things that would indicate that he cared for the saints at Rome. If you're a husband or you're a wife and you constantly and consistently, as you should do, tell your wife or your husband that you love him or her, you need to do that. You need to tell your spouse that you love them. But you need to translate that love into mundane things like doing the dishes, emptying the garbage, mowing the lawn, painting the walls, standing up for Christ, those kinds of things, caring for each other uh, in practical ways. Now, that's not the sum total of the Christian life, but it is something that we ought to be involved with. Paul not only wanted to be with the Romans, he also wanted to encourage them more than what he's just done by saying he's thankful for them because their faith is reported all over the world uh, and that he's praying for them constantly, that is encouraging for sure, but he wants to do more. Why would the saints in Rome need to be encouraged? Well, here are a few items that, that I think we should consider. Christianity was a minority religion, and here they were in the heart of paganism. They were in the capital of the Roman Empire. Now, yes, we are told that later, Paul makes mention almost uh, as a, a passing glance, if you would, uh, that there were members of Caesar's household who, and in the Praetorian Guard who have heard the gospel and come to faith. So there are people of influence and means uh, and high station uh, who have come to faith in Christ. But still, uh, when you think about it, the uh, Christianity is a minority religion at this point and eventually will be an illegal religion, especially as more and more Gentiles respond to the gospel and uh, become members of the church the church will be marked as an illegal religion, not just a minority religion, but illegal. Saints are in danger of persecution for their faith. This morning in the Sunday school class, we were listening to Dr. Robert Godfrey give his lessons on the early church. And it is not the case that every day in every way, Christians were being persecuted. But the fact that it was an illegal religion means that they were always living with the threat of persecution, and that has psychological effects, no doubt. And the saints needed to be reminded about the great truths of the gospel. We never outgrow, beloved, the, the need to be reminded of the basics of the faith, those things uh, are things we do need to be reminded of constantly, perpetually. Paul recognizes that there will be mutual encouragement with the saints. Not only will he be a benefit to them, one could argue from this distance that that would be my assumption, is that the presence of the apostle will be a benefit to a given church. 
but the what he says, and this is a note of humility on his part, that that they will be the saints will be of a benefit to him. He's not saying you're going to be a benefit to me because you're great and wonderful and powerful and you're in the seat of power and and you're connected to all the right people. Paul isn't networking in that sense that we might be tempted to do. Paul recognizes that even though he's an apostle, he still under has experienced trials and discouragement in ministry. You can see that in 2 Corinthians 11, 16-33, for example. And Paul was encouraged by congregations he had planted. Once again, read the letter to the Philippians, and you'll see there a congregation with which the Apostle Paul had warm relations and high regard. While Paul's ministry of gospel proclamation was primary, and it was, the mutual encouragement, correction, and edification of the brothers and sisters for one another was essential to individual and congregational spiritual health and vigor. That is, there is the the ministry of the church, uh, like our gathering here for worship, but there is also the encouragement and sometimes correction that we give each other outside of our public gatherings. And Paul is speaking to both of those, both the encouragement and correction that we may get in public worship, but also the edification, the the building up of one another that occurs in our daily walk with the Lord Jesus Christ and with one another. So the question is this, do you long to encourage and be encouraged by your brothers and sisters in the Lord in the way that Paul longed to be encouraged and to encourage the saints at Rome. And then finally, I am eager to preach the gospel to you, the main point. Lest we forget, Paul was called to be an apostle, a herald of the good news of Jesus Christ, as one who was sent. That's what apostle basically means a sent one. Paul's desire to see and to encourage his brothers and sisters in Rome involved his desire to proclaim his wondrous gospel. What better way to encourage the saints than to remind them of the story of their Savior and Lord? Now, I don't mean to step on any toes, but I may very well do that if I say to you that I do not find the the saying attributed to St. Francis of Assisi that uh, you should preach the gospel and use words if necessary. That is a biblically reprehensible, inappropriate, and fallacious idea. The gospel must involve words. It's not only words, but it must involve words, just as the Bible is made up of words. The gospel is uh, essentially a message. In 1 Corinthians 15, 1 through 11, the Apostle Paul reminds us of what he considered to be of first importance. 
namely the proclamation of the death and resurrection of Christ according to the scriptures. Undoubtedly, it was this gospel, this same gospel that he unpacks in 1 Corinthians 15, that he wanted to share at Rome, addressed to their specific needs and concerns. Paul had an obligation. He felt a debt to both Greeks and barbarians. That means non-Greeks. Everyone who was not Greek was a barbarian in the Greek world, and to the wise and to the foolish, and that actually is simply a repeat of Greeks and barbarians. Yes, they thought of themselves as wise and everybody else as foolish. And Paul is not necessarily affirming those uh, viewpoints. He's simply pointing out that uh, his debt that arises from the grace that he himself has experienced both in his salvation and in his appointment as an apostle these things cause him to feel the weight of obligation that he has to the Lord for his own redemption and his commission. This adds to him a sense of obligation that he must proclaim the gospel wherever it has not yet been proclaimed. So it was this gospel, this desire to proclaim the gospel that he had been commissioned to proclaim in words and deeds. It is this gospel he wanted to share. And why words are necessary, beloved, is for this reason. We can do all sorts of nice, loving things, but if we don't explain to people why we do it, what is the motivation for what we are doing, then, then all we're doing is nice, loving things that anybody could do. And sad to say, often do, do. So when we live an upstanding life and people ask us how it is that we do, then we share the gospel. We say, because Jesus Christ is Lord and Savior, and he's my Lord and Savior. Paul had an obligation arising from his gratitude for God's favor to himself to share the gospel to those outside the church as well as to those who already had joined Christ, had been united to him by faith. So you see, our concern is both internal but also external. We are concerned as uh, following in the footsteps of Paul we are concerned with our own spiritual existence, our condition as a people of God. But we are also concerned that, that the message of the gospel go out and, and into the highways and the byways. Are you as eager as the Apostle Paul to spread the gospel among both saints and sinners? In conclusion, let's just remind ourselves of what the ground we have covered. Paul was eager to see the saints at Rome and to encourage them in the gospel. It was his heart's desire, and as we learned from the letter, he had often been praying for this, and, and the Lord had not arranged for it. And then when the Lord did arrange for it, it was in a way that Paul no doubt had not anticipated. 
Paul was also eager to preach the riches of the gospel to the lost, to both those who already were believers and to those who had not yet become believers. Can that be said of us as a church here at Faith OPC in Fawn Grove? Is that what we are known for in this area? Is that what we care about? Think on those things, beloved. Beloved.